Thanks for listening to the Faith Assembly of God podcast. Please join us at 9, 11 a.m. at the main campus. At 11 a.m. at the Monk's Corner, Remount, and North Charleston campuses. Thank you for listening. We hope that God blesses you through doing so. Good morning, Faith Assembly. Hey, great to have you guys here. What a great day to be in the house of the Lord. Wasn't it exciting to see those guys being baptized? Every time someone's baptized, a reminder, that's a, a new life in Christ Jesus. And that's what we're celebrating. I want to I take a moment and just welcome all of our campuses that are watching by way of video today. Great to have you worshiping wherever you're at today. And those who are watching by television or online, we welcome each one of you as well. Uh, you saw the little bumper right there. Uh, who can tell us what our mission statement is? Well, what's, what's the mission statement of Faith Assembly of God? We just showed it to you. Connecting to Christ, experiencing life. Now, since I saw all those blank looks on your faces, we're going to say it together. Connecting to Christ, experiencing life. I think you can do better than that. We're going to give you one more shot at it. Connecting to Christ, experiencing life. That's what we're all about. That's what our church is all about. That's why we're here. We're here to connect men and women, boys and girls, to the Lord Jesus Christ that they might experience his life. Now, now when I was thinking about our our mission and what we're about, what Faith Assembly of God is here for, and I, I thought about that key word, life, I was drawn to John's gospel. John's gospel uses the word life 36 times in the gospel of John alone. And so that's kind of a major theme that starts all the way throughout the book. And what I want to do over these next four weeks is bring you some remarkable characters, bring them to life from the book of John. And and we're going to see how they connected to Jesus Christ and how their lives would never be the same again. They experienced his life in an incredible way. So, So turning your Bibles to John chapter 3, John chapter 3, and let's stand together for the reading of God's word this morning. We're going to look at a man by the name of Nicodemus, an incredible guy who came and connected the Lord Jesus Christ in a very powerful way, and his life was never the same. By the way, if you haven't signed up for the golf tournament, uh, sign up today on your way out the door. Uh, We're raising money for missions next Saturday morning. Have a great time. So all you golfers out there, get your teams together and get some guys. We'll have a great time. A lot of prizes, a lot of fun. John chapter three, let's look at verse number one and read that together right now. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. A member of the Jewish ruling council, a member of the Jewish, uh, he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the miraculous signs that you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Everybody say born again. Father, we thank you for your word today. We pray, God, you'll open up our hearts, our understanding this morning, that we'll receive what you have for us today. I pray your Holy Spirit will once again breathe across this congregation. There'll be some who have not yet been born again, that before they leave, they will experience that for themselves. We thank you, God, for your word. Your word is truth. And anoint it now as I preach your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Turn to someone tell them you're glad they came this morning, and then you may be seated.
Nicodemus. A very interesting character in the Word of God. We're going to call him Nick for short, so we all know who we're talking about. We're talking about Nick. And, and, and Nick comes to Jesus Christ. And uh, first of all, the Bible's very clear telling us who he is. He is a Pharisee. Uh, Nick would have been among the who's who of Jerusalem. Everybody knew who he was. He was a famous guy. He was looked up to. He was esteemed. Uh, the word Pharisee literally meant separated one. So he is somebody who has separated himself unto God. He's a very religious guy. I mean, this guy is religious, has it. Uh, he dedicated himself to studying the law, to living out the law in every detail, every aspect of his life. He's also a member of the, the high-ruling Jewish council called the Sanhedrin. And so he is a, a man of prominence, a man of position. And that council controlled all the Jewish life for Jerusalem in that area. And so they were kind of in control of every decision that was made, all the, all the rulings that came down, that all came through the Sanhedrin. Now, the Pharisees basically ta- taught that faith is an outside job. That somehow what we've got to do to impress God is, is change who we are. And so for the Pharisees, it was all about what they wore and how they looked and how much money they gave. And by the way, when they gave, because it was an outside job, they wanted to make sure everybody saw what they gave. And when they prayed, they wanted to be sure everybody heard them when they prayed on the corners of the streets. And so they're very external in their religion. Uh, uh, They believed it was important what title you carried and all those kinds of things. This is the way the Pharisees measured spirituality. That you're spiritual if the outside looks real good. If you're outward religious and going through all the forms and all the works. Now, Nick is a Pharisee, but his curiosity drives him to Jesus Christ. He heard the stories of this prophet, and he heard some of his incredible teachings, and he heard word of the miracles that were already being performed. And so he's drawn by curiosity, and he's got to seek out this man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And, And he can't approach Jesus by day lest he be seen with his very controversial figure. The, the word, we, we didn't know who Jesus was at this time. The word wasn't out quite yet. And so he goes by night, lest anyone see him, lest all his buddies see him going out, lest the other Pharisees knows that he has privately, secretly met with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's interesting, because he's a Pharisee, he is also a legalist. He's all about keeping and preserving the law. Legalism. It's appropriate that he goes by night because legalism, by its very nature, offers no light whatsoever. And he comes to Jesus Christ, and and he begins with all the polite conversation. He says, teacher, we know you're a great teacher. We know you're you're sent from God. And so he starts by praising Jesus Christ. He enters into the conversation that way. And Jesus disregards his compliment and totally cuts right to the chase. Hits him over the head with a hammer, so to speak. That's the way you got to approach legalists. Bam, right on, face to face, hits him over the head. And he basically says right out of the gate, you must be born again. Now, Now this is quite a revelation to a Pharisee. Because Nick thinks, I'm already in. I'm already in the group. 
I'm already accepted. I'm already one of God's chosen people. In fact, I'm, I'm at the top of the food chain. I'm a Pharisee. I'm as high as you get. I'm already in the club. Uh, and yet he says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Wow. What a revelation. Now, while we talk about Nick and we talk about his legalism, I think about the church in America today. And there are literally millions of people who think if they go to church, they're okay. If they give a little bit in the offering, they're okay. If they're a nice guy, they're okay. If they uh, don't kick their dog, they're okay. If they don't beat up their wife, they're okay. And, and so they, they think they're just fine because they're in America and they say the Pledge of Allegiance uh, and they can quote the Lord's Prayer and they can do those things. And Jesus says, you must be born again. It's the key to everything in life. Got to be born again. Now, what does this phrase, what does this phrase born again imply? What does it mean? Well, well, first of all, it, it, it's the source of all new life. It's new birth. It's new beginnings. It's new life. Let's pick the story up with verse number four. How can a man be born when he is not old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and of the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You must not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. Now, Nick is locked into the natural. He's thinking about natural birth. He says, I've already been born. I'm already the, the sum total of all of my history and all of my experiences, both good and bad. That's who I am. That's, that's what makes up who I am right now. And he thinks you can't just wipe all that out and start over. I mean, how are you born again? I've been born once. I'm here. I'm, I'm already a part of the club. I'm already in the in crowd, in the in group. And, and now you're talking about starting all over and being born again. And Jesus is trying to drive home the point that, that spiritual life is not a product of man's doing. It is all about the spirit's doing. He that is born of flesh is flesh. You can do all the good works you want to do. Say all the right things, go to all the right places, uh, but, but a new birth is a supernatural birth. It is something that is born of the Spirit of God. It's miraculous. Born again. It's that new life given by God himself. It is the breaking in of God's grace. It is the supernatural bringing forth of a new creation. You must be born again. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, now there's several things implied by this new birth, that phrase, the new birth. The, the, the first for all of us to think about is, is it's a brand new beginning. This is a chance to start over again. 
God doesn't come in and remake the old. He gives you a brand new life in Christ. And so it's a brand new beginning. It's a chance at a new life. It's, it's not another experience that we add to our old way of living uh, and go through the motions of religion uh, and go with no reality over and over again and repeat the same cycle. But, but it's a, a brand new beginning. This meeting between Jesus Christ and Nicodemus was more than an encounter between two religious figures getting together in the nighttime. But really what you see with Nicodemus encountering Jesus Christ, encountering that life, when you see that encounter, it is actually a clash of two entirely different philosophies. Clash of worldviews. It's, it's a clash of philosophies. It's, it's two opposing views on salvation. Let me explain it to you. Nicodemus would say it's man's job to earn his salvation. It's all on man. It's all on us. Jesus says it's simply man's job to accept it. God does all the work. All religions fall into one of two camps, legalism or grace. All religions of the world, legalism or grace. In legalism, humanity does it. We do it. We work for our salvation. We earn it. It's something we do. With grace, it is all what God has done, and it's through Christ's death. Nothing we did on our own. In salvation, uh, legalists look at it as a wage to be earned. And so if I do enough good stuff or I quit doing all my bad stuff, I can earn my way into heaven. I can earn my salvation based on the deeds I do. With grace, it is a gift solely based on Christ's death. A legalist says the force behind salvation is you. So therefore, you've got to look right. Therefore, you've got to speak right. Therefore, you've got to belong to the right group. And if you do all those kind of things, then you're going to be saved. The result is the outside sparkles. uh, But when you look closely on the inside, there's no joy. There's no life. They look good, but it's very, very dark on the inside. In fact, if you look closely in the heart of a legalist, you'll see one of three things. One of the things you might see is fear. Fear. Fear that I won't do enough. Fear that I won't be good enough. Fear that I'll say the wrong thing. Fear that I'll do the wrong thing. And so their view of God is someone greatly to be feared or afraid of. There's no relationship there. It's all about trying to appease God somehow. And so they live in constant fear. Or you might look deep inside and you might find arrogance or pride. Because after all, I've earned my salvation and I'm such a great guy. And look at all the things I've done for humanity and look at all my philanthropic endeavors and look at everything, uh, how nice I am and all this. And so what happens is legalism often uh, is, is filled with pride. And so when Jesus talks to the Pharisees and, and he gets on to them, he, he always addresses their pride. Or you might look inside and see a failure. A failure. This is somebody who can't live up to it. Somebody who can't keep the law. 
someone who's never good enough, someone who keeps blowing it, and, 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 and they make a mistake. And so their head is down, and they failed, and they fail again and again and again. And so when you look deep inside of a legalist, you'll see fear, you'll see pride, or you'll see failure, or a combination of the three. But legalism is a dark world. He comes to Jesus Christ by night. Why does Nicodemus come at night? Well, he's, he's afraid of the displeasure of his peers. What will my friends think? What will my, what will my buddies think? And, and so legalism always puts you in fear of man because you want to look good all the time. Legalism makes you approval hungry. And so you seek the approval of man and you seek the approval of your friends and you live based on uh, how their reaction is to you throughout the rest of that day or or every day of your life. Uh, Legalism becomes keenly aware of what others say or think because not only are you trying to please man, you're judging everybody else around you and seeing how they're doing and you're comparing yourself with them. And so you're like the guy who, who finds the speck in someone else's eye, but you've got these logs in your own eyes. Legalism. Comparing ourselves among one another. Judging myself based on how you do. How I do. So Nicodemus sneaks through the dark until he stands in the presence of Jesus Christ. He's the light. He has this connection with Christ. And his life is never, ever going to be the same again. And so Jesus comes out and he says, you know what, Nicodemus? You've got to be born again. Your spirituality is a spiritual birth. It doesn't come from church attendance. It doesn't come from doing good deeds. It doesn't come from correct doctrine. But your birth comes from heaven itself. It is nothing you can do. It is all about God's grace. It's a, it's a new beginning. It's a, it's a new birth. Now, now, the second observation, when you think about that phrase, born again or birth, birth and being born again always springs from intimacy. Man and a wife, they love each other. There's this union. There's this connection that takes place between male and female, and out of that springs life. Now, that's the way it ought to be. Sometimes it doesn't always happen within that context. Sometimes it's a one-night stand. Sometimes it's, uh, it's a couple before they're married. There, there's, there are other uh, mitigating circumstances. But, but in order for life to come forth, there has always got to be a union between male and female. So it is with a spiritual birth. It is God's grace that God gives to us, uh, and then we give our lives back to him, and out of that comes spiritual life. In other words, it's intimacy. I, I, it's, it's all about a person. It's about a relationship. It is not about a religion. If you're here today looking for religion, you've come to the wrong place. We want to connect you to a person. It is about Jesus Christ. He is alive in you, uh, and out of that life in Christ comes that new birth, that new life. Now, now something happens when there's that connection between male and female. The child will inherit the nature of his parents. The same way with the child of God. When we are born of the Spirit, we take on the nature of Christ Jesus. 
In fact, 2 Peter 1.4 says we are partakers of his divine nature. Now, in the natural, I have the DNA of both my father and my mother. And uh, my dad, he, he went home to be with the Lord almost uh, three years ago now. I think no, three years ago this month. Went home to be with the Lord. And, and so, but when you look at my dad and you look at me, I mean, I mean, except for the age difference, we could have been twins. I have his eyes, I have his, I have his walk, I have his talk, I have his deep voice. I have, I have my father's DNA. There was no mistaking who my dad was. It wasn't the milkman or somebody else. Mom's here today, so we know it was my dad. There's no messing that up. It was because uh, I look just like my daddy. And, and what I do is I have his DNA. And, and now we have passed that DNA on to our children, and they also look like us. And then what happens is when the kids hang around mom and dad, we, we have our natural physical attributes. That's there at birth. That's in our DNA. But then we learn behavior from being around mom and dad, and so all of a sudden we act like them, and we have the same mannerism as them, and we have the same behavior as them, and so we begin to act like our parents because that's what we've learned growing up. That's what's been modeled before us. Listen to 1 Peter 1 and 23. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible Through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. In other words, he says, I have a brand new nature. I have a new DNA. I have the DNA of Jesus Christ inside of me. And it's not corruptible. It is incorruptible. It is a seed. It is something that lives forever. Everlasting life. And so I have the nature of his righteousness and the nature of everlasting life inside of me. Now, what happens is the more time I spend with Jesus Christ, the more time I spend in his presence, the more time I spend in that atmosphere, environment of grace and intimacy, I'll begin to speak like Jesus. And I'll walk like Jesus walked. And I'll love people like Jesus loved people. And I will become like Jesus. And, and what the Bible calls that is, is that is the fruit of the Spirit. Now, has anybody ever seen a fruit tree working? It's the natural byproduct of a healthy plant. And so the more time I spend in Christ's presence, the more time I spend in his word, the natural outgrowth, the natural byproduct of that is what is called the fruit of the Spirit. And by the way, this summer we're going to be looking at those fruits and those character things that we need in our lives and studying that and seeing what God's word has to teach about those things. Fruit of the Spirit, the, the natural outgrowth of a life connected to Christ. And so what happens is I have his eyes, I have his heart, I, 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 I inherit all that through my relationship with Jesus Christ. So when I talk about being born again, it always comes out of intimacy, it comes out of closeness, it comes out of love, not through my works and effort. The third thing is, and when you, when you think about being born and having the birth of a child, you think about travail, travail. All you women who've had babies know exactly what I'm talking about. It's one of the many reasons I'm thankful I was not a woman when I was born. My, my, I don't know how you women do it. It, it is 
It's, it's, it's crazy giving birth. And what a lady goes through and the travail she goes through. I, I witness all three of my kids being born and, and, and it's, I still have scars in my arm from, from the birth of Chad. I learned by the second one, stay a little further away. Just don't get too close to that table. Just stay back a little bit. Okay, watch for, you know, get at least allowed. Just, just stay out of arm's reach. You know, the first child I'm there, I'm right over saying, it's going to be all right. And, you know, and, and you just, she grabs you. you get, and so, guys, listen, stay, stay back a few feet. Travail. All, all birth comes through travail. The incredible thing about this spiritual birth is the travail was all through Jesus Christ. It wasn't my travail. It wasn't my pain. It wasn't my suffering. It wasn't my work. It was Jesus did the travail for me. We see his travail in the garden when the Bible says he sweat, as it were, drops of blood. And he said, Lord, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But, but not my will be done, but your will be done. We see the travail as they put him over that whipping post and they opened up his back and he took those stripes for us. Uh, we see the travail when they put the nails in his hands uh, and, and there was that, and he, and he hung on a cross and he was separated from God. And he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Uh, and we see the travail when he carries our weight of sin upon his back. Yes, for birth to occur, there has to be travail. But I am so grateful Jesus Christ did it all for us. Did it all for us. Now listen, if you're here today and you're born again, you're saved today, it's probably because someone else travailed for you in prayer. Maybe a grandmother prayed for you, grandfather. Maybe your mom and dad prayed for you. But, but everybody, probably everybody who comes into the kingdom comes because someone prayed for them. Someone cared about them. Someone travailed for them in prayer. And I guess just a thought I want to leave you with too is, is listen, if you've got unsaved kids, unsaved spouse, unsaved parents, don't stop praying. Keep travailing. Keep seeking the face of God. Keep believing for their salvation. And out of that will come new life, new birth. And then, and then the, the fourth observation about this new birth, the new beginning thing, is, is that when you have a brand new baby, all your future hopes and dreams hang on that child. Isn't that exciting? You, you take that little life home, you're, you're in the hospital, you're there, you, you'll hold that baby in your arms and, and you think, this kid's going to be the next president of the United States. Or, or, or this is going to be a doctor. My, my child's going to be a doctor. And so you, you think about that and all, you, you, all your future hopes and dreams. This is going to be, if you didn't make it through college, this one's going to be a college graduate or, or whatever you want to say about your child. We put all of our future hopes and all of our future dreams on that new baby. Some of you say, this, this is going to be a little pastor right here, a missionary right here. In fact, next Sunday morning, we're going to have parents who are going to come up and, and they're going to dedicate their children to the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're going to be saying that, you know, this, we're giving our children to, for, for, that God will fulfill his full purpose and plan in that child's life. All of our hopes and dreams. First Peter 1, 3 says, we are born again into a living hope. Let me tell you something. When we are born again, you have a destiny to fulfill. 
There is a God has a plan and a purpose for your life. In fact, he says in the word of God, we were created to show forth the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Ephesians 2 says, for we were God's workmanship created in Jesus Christ to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God has prepared you in advance to do good works for him. And so with that new birth, when you are born again, uh, immediately you begin to find out why God created you, uh, why God made you. He made you and created you to do good works to show forth glory to God. And now that you're born again, you can fulfill that purpose for which God made you. All our dreams and hopes hang on that child. The newborn baby cannot be arrested for its past history. Cannot be arrested for past crimes. The slate's clean. It's gone. There's no history there. When you're born again, your sins are forgiven. They are forgotten by God. They will never be brought up again. They will never be dredged up again. Gone. Your future's bright because now you have encountered your creator. And with that, you've encountered your purpose. And so now you can begin to grow in Christ Jesus and, 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 and ultimately reach all that that God's called you to be. Christ, born again. Now, now the second thing about this uh, grace or how we're born again is it's simply by surrendering to God's grace. In other words, we can't work it, we can't earn it, so how do we receive it? Look at verse number eight. He carries the thought in verse eight. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Have you ever had a gust of wind come along and ask for your help? Please help me blow today, strong today, whatever. Or, or ever seen a, a windstorm beside the road trying to catch its breath? Oh, I'm so wore out. Doesn't happen. No, the wind doesn't need our help. It doesn't reveal its course. Uh, it is silent. Uh, it is invisible. All we can do is surrender to God's grace. We can't add anything to it. We can't take anything away from it. We can't earn it in any way, shape, or form. Uh, I simply submit myself to God's wind, uh, to God's breath. It's interesting, and I've said this before, but the word wind is the same word translated spirit in the Hebrew language. And so like the wind, he says, the spirit is invisible. It is powerful. It is blowing. And you can't explain or predict the movement of the wind. Sometimes... That wind of the Spirit will blow very gently. You'll be sitting in a church service. The pastor will give the invitation. And your heart begins to race. You feel the presence of the Spirit of God drawing you to Him, drawing you to God. And it's that, that gentle wind of the Spirit convicting us of sin and of righteousness, and of judgment. And he speaks to our heart, and he draws us to the Lord. And, and there are other times you see the wind of the Spirit in, in, in the day of Pentecost. The Bible says it was like a rushing, mighty wind. 
filled all the house where they were sitting. And it empowered their church with such power, they, they changed the world. And so the wind of the Spirit, but I will tell you this, uh, the wind is blowing today around the world. Uh, and you can't stop the wind and Spirit of God from blowing. And it's crossed the Great Wall of China and it's blowing through China today. In fact, Jonathan will be heading there soon and be a part of that wind that's blowing in the country of China. It's blowing in Nepal. It's blowing in South Korea. It's blowing in the Ukraine. It's blowing across the continent of Africa. The wind of the Spirit is blowing today. And there are millions being born again, saved by the Spirit of God, is that wind keeps right on blowing. It is blowing around the world. And each new birth is different and exciting, but they are being born again by the Spirit of God spiritual birth. And the third thing, I want us to notice the motive behind this born again, this gift that God has for us. Jump down to verse 16. Maybe one of the most well-known verses in all the word of God, and it talks about life and what happens when that connection is made. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal Life, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that he may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. Now, even though it's dark outside, Nicodemus comes at the nighttime, the lights are about to go off. Already starting to go off. Nicodemus has never heard these words before. They had talked about salvation, I'm sure, many times. The Pharisees may have talked about it. He talked about it with other Jews. Uh, but, but their conversations on salvation always had to do with rule-keeping. And if you kept the commandments and you kept the rules and you did all this and did all that, and if you followed the sacrificial system and if you uh, offshed enough blood, uh, uh, you, if you went through the right feast days and you did the right kind of stuff, then salvation would come. And then all of a sudden Jesus says, everyone who believes in him can have everlasting life. How does life come? Not by keeping rules, uh, but by believing on Jesus Christ. It didn't say everyone who achieves can have everlasting life. It didn't say everyone who succeeds in life can have everlasting life, but everyone who believes. So how can you be born again today? Believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the motive behind this gift is love. For God so loved the world. Let's say that much together. For God so loved the world. Love. God himself is love. It's the central nature of who he is. And the Bible says God so loved the world. He's reaching out to everybody. Everybody. I'm so glad the verse didn't say for God so loved the rich. So glad the word didn't say for God so loved the famous. Or for God so loved the thin. 
I'm really glad he didn't say that. <laughs> or the European, or the African, or the young, or the old. It says, for God so loved the whole entire world. Now, what does that mean? It means you and I are included in that love. For God so loved you. Hallelujah. And notice this love here. It's not a passive kind of love. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave. In other words, he responded with action. It was an active love. It was unique in the cost of love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Someone has said you measure the love that someone has for you by the cost of the gift. I might be in trouble with some of the birthdays and Christmases and all those kind of things. But, but if that's true, think about how much God loves you to give his only begotten son. It's everlasting. There's no limit to God's love. His love never fails, never gives up, never runs out on you. Isn't that great? Everlasting love. It goes on and on and on forever. He never, ever stops loving you. There's no limit on it. Never ran out on David, the adulterer. His love never ran out on Paul, the murderer. His love never ran out on Peter, the liar. And there were times in their life when they got down and they hit bottom in life. uh, But when it comes to God loves, uh, I want to tell you, they never ever came close to hitting the bottom of God's love. His love never runs out, never gives up. Everlasting love. Darkness. Darkness keeps us from accepting the love of God. It keeps us from receiving God's free grace. Nicodemus is a man who is in darkness, not only at night, but he's in his legalism. He is in his pride. Uh, He is uh, in his rebellion. And it keeps us always trying to work to please God. It keeps us in change. It keeps us in slavery. We become a slave to the law. But when the light comes on, Our deeds are exposed. And it's when the light comes on that then we can turn our heart and life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I want to tell you, Nicodemus may have came at night for the first time, but he's going to come back again. Turn, if you would, to John chapter 19. We're not told there whether he made his commitment to Christ at that point or if it was something that happened later in his life. But he connected to Christ. Nicodemus would ultimately experience life. He comes at night the first time. Look at John 19 and verse 39. And you get to the very end and everything's on the line. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was the disciple of Christ, but secretly because he feared the Jews. Now, Joseph is still hanging between that legalism and relationship. And he's still afraid of the Jews and what might happen to him. And so he secretly is a follower of Christ. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Notice the references to light and darkness. Notice the references to coming at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh, aloes, 
about 75 pounds, taking the body. The two of them wrapped it with spices and strips of linen. He was in accord, it was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. The first time Nick comes to find Jesus Christ, he is sneaking through the shadows. He's come under the cover of darkness. Doesn't want to be seen. The next time we see Nicodemus spelled out in Scripture again, he is coming in the middle of the day. His Lord and Savior has just been crucified, and he is going to serve the body of Jesus Christ one last time. And he brings the anointing oils and the spices to anoint the body, to embalm the body. Nicodemus goes from the night, but he is brought into the light. You see, Jesus said to Nicodemus, and he says it to every one of us in verse number 7, you must be born again. You've got to make a choice. You've heard the gospel this morning. You've heard the difference between legalism and grace. But you've got to decide what are you going to choose. You've got to be born again. You must be born again. And then he tells us how we can be born again in verse 16. Whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. What an incredible story. What an incredible man, Nick, Nicodemus. Now listen, this story is repeated again and again and again. It's repeated right here in our church family. I want you to see the story of one of our ladies from our church. And it just shares how she came out of religion and what Christ did for her. Take a look. My name is Sue Desitel. Um, my husband and I have been coming to the church for about eight years now. And um, I'd just like to share my testimony. I grew up in a very loving Christian home. For 18 years, and I went to church every Sunday, but I did not have a personal relationship with God or Jesus. I knew who Jesus was. I knew he died on the cross. I saw it every Sunday at church, him up on the cross, and I, I knew that, but I still had no concept that I needed to make it personal with him. And my um, fiancé at the time, he told me that um, that's the only thing we fought about, and he told me six weeks before the wedding that if I did not get uh, saved if I did not ask Jesus in my heart that he would break off the wedding. I thought, oh, great, you know, what a nightmare this is. So, of course, the next Sunday I lied and said, oh, guess what? I got saved, you know, great. So happy for us. I figured it was just a fad for him, early 70s. And um, so he was just thrilled, and we got married, and I fast forward to the wedding night, and he dreamed um, that he saw me go into the bathroom, and then from behind him, um, something evil grabbed him. He just could sense that in his spirit and whisper in his ear, I will destroy your family. And he said he just started screaming and kicking, which he was screaming and kicking me, but he was just like, just in a fit of, he was terrified. And I could see he was terrified. Terrified me. I thought, boy, mom sure didn't explain this about the wedding night. I mean, it was like really scary. So the next morning, we actually slept with the light on the rest of the night um, because that was just freaking me out. But he, <laughs> but he, um, um, 
said the next morning, he goes, we have got to go to an old-fashioned tent revival. I knew you would love that since we're both Christians. And I thought, who goes to church on their honeymoon? I mean, that's crazy. But I had to keep lying because I had been lying to him. I said, oh, that sounds great. So we went to this old-fashioned tent revival. And I remember the preacher had on black pants, a white shirt, big black suspenders, a 50-pound Bible, and a big old white handkerchief. And he went up and down. And he did the um, hellfire and brimstone which if you've never been in one of those sermons, let me tell you, that grabs your heart. (laughs) And when he got ready to do the invitation, I was sitting in the back row, but he had that long finger, and he pointed right at me, and he said, you will repent. And when we closed our eyes, I raised my hand, I'm repenting. (laughs) I'm giving my life to God. So somebody came over, touched me on the shoulder, and said, would you please come with me? So I said, oh, so I guess I'm getting kicked out because I was lying, I'm not saved, get out. So I thought they were taking me out. Ron's waving goodbye. And I'm like, I'll just have to wait for him outside, I guess. That's what they do to you. I was, like, terrified they were kicking me out. I was so embarrassed, so um, uh, horrified. And they took me in a room. And with about 15 other young people, uh, we said the prayer of salvation. And it changed my life forever. And uh, it was just as simple as that, just accepting Jesus in my heart. Going to church all those years made no difference. Doing everything that the church told me to do didn't do anything without a personal relationship with Jesus. Um, I've been a Christian now 37 years. Um, I have had moments where I had backslid for 10 years. I came back to to, um, God um, eight years ago. We started coming to this church and and out of desperation and it changed my life that even though when I was backslidden and not, you know, not serving him, he still saw some redemptive value and he let me come back to him and serve him once again. And I am so grateful that he he let me do that amen amen isn't that awesome isn't that awesome that's it that's that's today uh nicodemus uh i guess a lady i don't know lady nick uh, uh sue you in the house today i don't know if I, sue stand up she's in the back stand up isn't that awesome thanks sue for sharing your story that's great that's great Listen, you can be born again. You can know Jesus Christ. You can come to this church the rest of your life, but there's got to be that time when you say, God, I need you, and you start a relationship with him, and you ask Jesus to be your Lord and your Savior, and Christ comes in and gives you that new life. And then the, the Bible says you are born again. Sins are gone. You're starting over. you got a new future hope all in Christ Jesus. Bow your heads and close your eyes if you would. Hallelujah. Thanks for listening. For more, check out faithishere.org.